first off, again, I'd like to thank you for taking out the time to answer these questions for my article. I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. All right. So I, I wanted to kind of start with um, you had already you just knocked off the Trailblazers um, three games to one, and you were heading to the Phoenix series, of course, against Charles Barkley, um, who was coming off a, a you know a great year the, the year prior. So how confident were y'all going into that Phoenix series, um, knowing that y'all – I mean – couple of those trailblazers game was close but i'm sure y'all had a lot of confidence going into that phoenix series for in the second round yeah the confidence was sky high you know we had uh we had come off a year where we started the season 15 and 0 and 22 and 1 and we knew we were good and and we could feel it and we were confident and and uh and so coming out of that round one we were we were you know we knew that uh, the suns had barkley we knew the suns were good but they didn't scare us at all. Yeah, and of course, I mean, like you said, y'all were one of the best teams all year. So um, definitely, if anything, Phoenix probably should have been worried about y'all as, as well. And But you go into game one, um, of course, you lose an 18-point uh, lead. And then you're in game two, you have another big lead, a 20-point 20, uh, 20 lead. Um, at any point after that game one when you lost the 18-point lead, was it anybody on the bench that was worried or thinking, okay, this is about to happen again? Or was it just like another game where y'all figured y'all had this big lead and y'all thought that, you know, you were going to be able to pull out the game? And, of course, you know, we know that didn't happen. But at the time when it's going on, what's going through some of the players' minds and what's going on in the huddle? Yeah, yeah, we definitely, you know, when we when we blew the the lead in the first game, it was sort of like surprising to us, you know, like it was like, oh, uh, you know, we didn't expect that to happen. And then in game two, when when the same exact thing happened, then that's when that's when people started to get uh, worried, upset, uh, you know, like that was a shock to us that uh, the Phoenix could come back from down twenty two games in a row, you know, and. I think a lot of us were trying to figure out how to process that because we knew we were good. We knew we were championship caliber and we had just blown back to back 20 point leads against a team that we knew we were better than. And so a lot of us were struggling to figure out how to deal with that. I know there was anger and, and uh, you know, you can just imagine, you know, what a team, yeah. what a team's like uh, when you blow two back to back leads. And, and so it's important to note that, in that time, uh, I would say that Akeem was one of the guys that I noticed who was very calm and was not uh, angry or upset. Uh, so he was a good leader, a good leader to follow. And also Rudy was Hall of Fame caliber during that time coaching us. Uh, the, the message that Rudy gave us was you find out what a team's character is really about when things go bad and and when things go bad do you follow human nature and everybody just you know flies off in different directions or do you do the hard work everybody get back together and pull in the same direction pull on the like he would use pull on the rope in the same direction you know and uh and so those two guys were really the most important leaders that we had to get us through that time because there was a lot of people myself included who were not happy with the first outcome of the first two games. Yeah, I'm sure. And then, you know, of course, you're going into game three. Um, you're down 14 early and then eight at the half. Um, so was Akeem and Rudy, were they the two people again was kind of, 
letting the team know that it's not over, that you can still pull it out in the second half? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Those are the guys that, you know, we were down in game three. They were not panicking. They were they were like, hey, we got this. Everybody just keep playing. And uh, and it was that it was overcoming that that deficit and winning game three that really like almost immediately restored everybody's confidence. Yeah. And speaking of winning that game three, what was it like, you know, being up close and personal and watching that performance by Vernon Maxwell in the second half, probably one of the best performances uh, in NBA playoff history. For sure. And that, and that, you know, to us watching, watching Max go off like that was not an unusual thing. We had seen that happen many, many times. We knew he was capable of it. Uh, His mindset at the time was he was very, angry that we had lost two games and when and when max would get angry like that that was when we knew to jump on his back because that was the that was the good kind of energy that we could really feed off of and uh and the fact that he went off like that that was like yeah all right cool Uh, we don't have to rely on just dream to save us we got other guys that can that can play too and uh and that was really big for our for our confidence for our psyche uh that game three win yeah, and kind of fast forward a little bit in that series, uh, you're going into game seven. Um, was the confidence that you spoke about earlier, was that, you know, did y'all have the same confidence going into that game seven against Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, it was like you know, Rudy was telling us, look, we've already uh, made this series way harder than it needs to be. We know we're better than them. This is our game. This is when we go out. Uh, game sevens are, are when you go out and you prove you're the better team. And uh, – and, uh, you know, we had already restored our, our confidence. We had already come uh, overcome the Houston Chronicle, you know, choke city yes. headline. And, and after we won the, you know, after we won game three and four and brought it back tied two two, that's, that's when, when we got back to Houston and, you know, I can't really remember, uh, exactly what the airport was like, you know, at that particular time, but there was many times during that championship era that we would get back to the airport and, fans would be lining the, you know, lining the road out there uh, going into where we would fly out of. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff really helped us as well as, you know, knowing that the fans are, had our back and they hadn't jumped off the bandwagon and, and, and all that. So yeah, going into game seven, we were confident. Yeah. I mean, I think, as you said, I think the city started to realize like, okay, this team can be really special. So of course you beat Phoenix um, and then you, take out a really good Utah team in five games. Um, something I actually asked uh, Mario Ellie earlier about going into that Knicks series, it was a lot of talk about how physical the Knicks were. You know, they're the, the tougher, stronger team. Uh, what was some of the talk that y'all had amongst yourself about, you know, some of the narrative that was going around the media about how the Knicks are the tougher team and the Rockets may have some trouble with that? Yeah, we uh, – we didn't believe that the Knicks were tougher than us. Um, we knew that, uh, that that was the perception, but we didn't have any problem with, with that perception being out there because we knew we were just as tough as them. And uh, I mean, we had Dream, we had Otis Thorpe, yeah. we had Larry Smith, we had uh, Carl Herrera, we had Bernie Maxwell, yeah. I mean, we had Maryville, I mean, we had we had some tough dudes too. Yeah. And, and it was our chance to prove to the whole world uh, this is who we are. 
And before you go into um, game three, of course, you split the first two um, in Houston. Um, was there a sense of, okay, this is a must-win game? We know at, back then the format was a little bit different where you had three straight games in New York. Was that was there any type of talk Well, this is a must-win game since we know we're going to have two more games um, after this one in New York before we even get back to Houston? Or was it just like, okay, every finals game is important? Yeah, I think we had expected to go to New York up 2-0. And the fact that it was 1-1 was like, okay, all right, this is this is uh, you know, this is serious. These guys are good, the Knicks are good. Uh, and we have to go to New York and win one because uh, if they win all three, then we don't get to come back to Houston and play games. It's over. And that was the unfair part of the 2-3-2 format is the home team, which was us could have only had two home games and the series could have been over. So, so we knew that that was the case. We knew we had to le at least win one in New York. Yeah. And uh, of course, um, the next game I kind of want to talk about is, of course, is an infamous game, which everybody um, outside of Houston may consider of the OJ Simpson game, unfortunately. But as you're like in a really tight battle in that game, and news starts to slowly trickle in about what's going on outside of the arena. Um, are the players aware of that, you know, as the game is going on? Or are y'all just way too focused on, you know, taking on the Knicks and the biggest games of your life? Uh, we were aware of it. And what's crazy is, you know, there was never, uh, you know, TVs along, you know, along the side of the court. There were, you know, in, in NBA games back then, there weren't, there were not screens everywhere. You know, there weren't TVs on the press table. There weren't monitors anywhere. Uh, you know, some arenas had a, like a big replay screen. You could catch a replay, but not, not all of them. Yeah. So the fact, you know, in the finals, there were actually television monitors uh, on the floor at the end of our bench, you know, because the game was national TV. And, and that was unusual for us to have a, a TV where we could like look at the TV and see what the replay was, you know, to see if the call was right or whatever. And, I, you know, so it was like I remember doing it a lot because that was something that you didn't get to do very much to see the replays, you know. So I'm looking over at the replay screen or at the TV monitor, and there's like – it looks like it's in commercial. Like the game, the, the game's going on, huh. and I look at the screen, and, it, and it's like this – looks like a car commercial, like yes. a Ford Bronco car commercial. Like here we are driving down the highway, <laughs> a Ford Bronco, yes. and I'm like – why are they in commercial right now? The game's playing. What's going on? And and I look back later and it's the same, the same thing. I go, well, that's not a commercial. That's, you know, like what? So that's sort of how it all started. And then all of us were like looking like the, the game's not on, you know, and we're looking around like, what is, what's going on? And I remember, I don't know who it was, but I remember somebody said, that's OJ Simpson fleeing the cops. And, and it was, so there was some awareness on our part of what was going on in the outside world. But then I think it was also uh, an awareness on our part that, look, the finals game is way more important yes. than, than what OJ is doing right now. So we refocused on on the game, but you could feel the crowd was murmuring and people got up and, and left their seats in the middle of the game. So it was very odd to be playing uh, a, a, an NBA game, a finals game, and having you know another major news story going on at the same time. Um, sure. I mean, that's a, that's a real situation. And I mean, of course, you um, after game five, of course, there's a game six back in Houston. And 
the Rockets are down three games to two, and it seems like John Starks is just not going to miss any shots at all the entire game. It was just it was just crazy the amount of shots that he was taking and the, the difficulty of some of the shots, and he was still making them. So you're going down to game six. Of course, it's a, a real close game. And um, before the, the – during the timeout right before that last play um, where Akeem makes that incredible block – um, what is being said in the huddle? I mean, did y'all know that the ball was probably going to John Starks in that situation? Well, you know, down the end of that stretch of that game, you know, we were telling ourselves, uh, we gotta we gotta win this one to extend it to game seven. Like this is a must win for us. They're they're gonna win the championship on our court, and we don't want that. And I remember our equipment manager, uh his nickname was DH, but his uh, full name is David Nordstrom. Um, he, I remember he, I, I remember him telling us on the bench, they've got the champagne ice down in their locker room. Oh, wow. <laughs> don't let them, don't let them celebrate, uh, you know, in our building. And, you know, and that was like, so it was like, that was probably the best game of the series right there. Game six, cause Starks was on fire. It was back and forth. And, and when we won that game to send it to game seven, it was like, Oh man, what a victory. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and, you know, watch it. Did you did you know at the time that Akeem had blocked the shot, or did y'all just think that yeah. it was? Oh, he did okay. right in front of us, right in front of us, and we could see the play develop, and and uh, and Starks, you know, looks like he's going to be wide open for the shot. You know, like as the ball is going to him, I'm thinking to myself, oh no, he's wide open, and he, you know, and he hasn't missed all game. And and if you watch the replay, I didn't notice it at the time, but if you watch replay. Dream actually slipped. Yes. Like he lost traction. And so he didn't even get a great, you know, push off to go to make up the ground, but yet he still was able to make up that amount of ground as a seventh footer with that kind of athleticism to be able to just get a fingertip on the ball. It was like, and it was like five feet in front of me, you know, like just an amazing athletic play right in front of me. The biggest play that of the game of the series uh, happening right there. And, and you could just see, you could just see when Dream was making the recovery, he was going to get it, you know, because we had seen Dream do that so many times. And, and man, when he blocked that shot, it was like unbelievable how good that felt. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, one of the greatest plays in playoff history. I mean, it's every time you see it, it's just amazing. So, of course, you're going into game seven. And, and before game seven, did, did y'all feel that y'all had all the momentum and that the Knicks kind of knew that that was their one chance? Did y'all kind of think to yourselves that, okay, now – we got game seven at home after that amazing play. Did y'all have all the confidence in the world going into that game seven? Uh, I think we felt like as a team that game seven was going to be the biggest war that we'd ever been. Yeah. You know, that it was going to be the, the most con uh, competitive, contested game that we that we'd ever played in. I think Rudy was trying to prepare us, you know, to, to be ready for that, you know, to, to go out and match – you know, to match everything. Don't let them get off to us, you know, start. And as the game went on and on, uh, I felt like that we were proving that we were better and we could, and we could sort of see their shoulders slumping a little bit as they started to fall farther and farther behind. And then, and, and then, you know, like there's like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter and I'm thinking, we've got this, we're going to win this, you know? And then all of us on the bench are like hitting each other, like, all right, we got to keep, we got to, you know, there's still 10 more minutes, you yes. know, and we were thinking back to what happened with Phoenix, right? Like we can't, 
we can't blow this. You know, we yes. got it. There it is. And, and then it was like six minutes left and we're like, Ooh, and then it was like four minutes. Left, and then, like, Oh yeah, we got it. You know? And just that, that was like the longest 10 minutes oh, of sure. any game I can, re- I can remember. Uh, and, but we knew for like that whole time, you know, like we were trying to suppress it, but we knew that we were going to win. And man, that was, whew, man, you know what it's, what's crazy is when you win, when the final buzzer goes off, you've never, you have no idea what to do. Like, yeah. you know, like what, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's never it. won a world championship before. How do you, how do you celebrate? You know? Yeah. And, Cause I wanted to ask you about one of the plays that kind of clinched it for y'all towards the end when Vernon Maxwell made the three, I mean, how loud was the arena after oh. that shot? Oh yeah, man. I can still hear that. I can still hear the summit roar. Uh, when you bring that question up, uh so loud in that building when the when the fans were oh man yeah that was yeah Mm -hmm. those are great memories yeah and of course you win the championship i mean you kind of uh take off the the hex that been over houston sports for decades from the oilers to the astros so i mean after kind of the dust settled and you're going into the next day. What was the feeling like knowing that you finally brought a championship, the first championship ever, to the city oh. of Houston? Well, the next day was still was still part of the night before. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <Bad>. <laughs> you know, we uh, I, I was in the I was there with my wife, and and we had just a couple friends there, but there was hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, all through the back part of the, the summit in the locker room, and we were there for hours. Yes, and. Uh, and then we finally, then finally someone says, Hey, uh, uh, Papa's seafood kitchen just over there on Richmond has <laughs> yes. got a, you know, got a party for us. So let's head that way. And, and so I don't know if it was two hours or four hours, it didn't matter what the time was. We get out of the, we get out of the um, parking lot in at the summit and we go to get on Richmond and Richmond is a freaking parking lot. <laughs> yes, know, like I remember. <laughs> everybody in Houston is down there partying and here come the rockets in their cars pulling up on Richmond. <laughs> oh my God. It was, it was you know, to me, you know, the, the spontaneous celebration that happens after a championship like that. Houston showed the the world how to celebrate you know like everybody was on richmond the cars were parked everybody was hugging and cheering and honking and yelling and screaming and you know we weren't we weren't riding we weren't overturning cars and setting them on fire you know like everybody was just it was just like an entire city in a huge embrace and uh and it was really it's really one of the greatest feelings i've felt in my life of just you know feeling uh, a multitude of people all in the same sort of euphoria together, you know? And, um, and then we go to Papa's, we go to Papa's seafood kitchen and that was all night long. Uh, the trophies were there, uh, you know, uh, or the trophy was, was there. We were passing it around, you know, everybody's there. I played the drums for a while with the band and, uh, and then, you know, like, it's like, I don't know sun's coming up and we decide maybe we should start heading home <laughs> and uh and and then i don't know we must have slept the next day a little bit but but then i think the following day was the was the uh, parade and everybody it's like we were still it was still like you might have slept a few hours between yeah. the, the final buzzer and the parade but that was about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'm sure it was all a blur at that point and something else when i was talking to ellie he had mentioned that they, so was it true that y'all all rented limousines 
to for afterwards? I think he said it was afterwards that some of y'all actually rented limousines. <laughs> uh, it wasn't all of us because I didn't, but, okay. but I'm, I'm sure some guys did. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, it was like, like it was a good thing that it was back before uh, cell phone cameras. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got your point there. <laughs> uh, a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Um, also, I want to ask you about the, the celebration um, of course, you know, you have the celebration afterwards. Um, so at what point does it really hit you or that you, okay, you're an NBA champion, something that, you know, hundreds and thousands of players before you had never had that opportunity. Like at what point did it during, did it, did it hit you right afterwards or was it like a couple of weeks later? Um, when did it finally hit you that you were an NBA champion? Yeah, I think looking back on it, it doesn't really hit you at one moment. It's yeah. something that you, that you sort of grow into. You know that it's just it's different levels, different layers of of real of realization of how special it is, and and then maybe a few years later down the road, you, remember, you know I wasn't on the second championship team. But a few years later down the road, you're playing in the NBA and you realize just how hard it is to win a championship, and then and then you get to the point where you're you're really appreciative of of experiencing that because not everybody does, and so yeah, it's not one thing that I mean like it hits you when the final buzzer goes off, it hits you when you're spraying champagne, it hits you when you're cutting the net down, it hits you when you go out on Richmond and everybody, and then and it hits you for months and months and months afterwards. And then it hits you on the ring ceremony when you get your rings. And yeah, it's, uh, it's quite an experience. Uh, it's really hard to, to really put into words, but it's one of those things you'll never forget. Yeah, and, and one more question about that, something I kind of want um, fans that may not have been around at that time, to realize that how much more that team was than just, I mean, Akeem was great, of course. To me, he's the greatest center of all time. But can you just speak up about some of the other players that aren't mentioned as much as they should be, like an older Storp, like a Carl Herrera. Of course, we know about Sam Cassell, Robert Ory. Just talk about how great that team was, even outside of Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, Dream had been to the finals in, what was it, 86? Yes. With the Rockets. And that was with a totally different era of players. And then I came in, in 90 and that was, you know, that was when we were sort of transitioning from the eighties team to the championship era team. And so we had Otis, uh, we had, we had, we had Buck Johnson and sleepy Floyd and, and Kenny. And then we add Vernon Maxwell. And then we add Mary Lilly. We add Robert Ory. We add Sam Cassell. And, and so it was through those additions of those young players Adding to the the core chemistry that we had been building from, I, I think it's from '90 because that's when I started. But, but you know, really, uh, you know, it probably would say you know once Rudy took over in '91 as coach, that's when that era sort of started. And uh, and all of us, the the thing that's important is we kept that team together. Yes. You know, like Otis had been there a while, Kenny Smith had been there a while. You know, so we're adding these players one at a time to a team that's already you know, really close, great chemistry, really like each other, work hard together, have fun together. Uh, and then we add those players. And so by the time 93 comes around, when we play the Seattle Supersonics in the second round uh, and they have home court and they beat us in game seven in overtime by two to, to, to destroy our, you know, like just, just broke our hearts in yeah. 93 then and then the the summer that we had 
working together to get ready for 94, you know, 93, 94, when we rip off 15 in a row, that's a kind of chemistry building that, you know, you got to, you have to be tested. You have to fail. You have to come back. You have to stay together. You got to grow. And that's the kind of chemistry building that, that the Rockets organization was able to do in the early nineties to set foundation for the back-to-back championships. And it's important to know that, you know, guys like, uh, like Larry Smith was there, was there every day, you know, playing as hard as he can. Carl Herrera was huge for us uh, in those series. And Carl was playing with like a dislocated shoulder too, which was insane. Like they wouldn't even let him do that today's game. You know, he's out there playing in the the playoffs and the finals and, uh, and, um, you know, then other guys that I mentioned. And, and uh, so, yeah, we really was, we were a close group. You know, and you figure Rudy's the the head coach, and he was he was the head coach. He was the leader, but he was also like one of us. You know, like it was like fifteen of us all together in a group, and that's uh, we were super tight. Yeah, that's amazing. And like I said uh, earlier when we first started, I, I definitely appreciate you coming uh, coming on and helping me, you know, relive these moments so that a lot of the younger fans, because there are a lot more younger fans joining, uh, you know, yep. Rockets fandom every day to be able to, you know, talk about the greatest time in Rockets history, you know, during the 90s. So I definitely appreciate you, you know, coming on and answering my questions. Yeah, you bet, man. Anytime. Good, good, uh, good talking about the good old days. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.